as the cultural ground in the West continues to shift, and it's shifting all the time, it seems likely that following Jesus is going to become more and more countercultural. We can anticipate it getting harder and not easier following Jesus in the days ahead. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller. Glad you're with us as we continue this message, holding firm to the end. And Jonathan, you just have to look at the news headlines and you see exactly what you're talking about there, that it is more and more countercultural to follow Jesus. And there's more and more pushback, I think, against biblical Christianity. For the person who is kind of struggling to hold fast today, what would you say to encourage them to, to hold to biblical truth? Well, I think the thing that keeps us going, holding to biblical truth and hoping in the promises of God is, is looking ahead to the prospect of what the Lord has in store for those who believe. And the way in which Hebrews is going to talk about that, the way in which it's going to frame it and the picture it's going to paint for us is the picture of entering the land of promise, entering the rest of God, the place of rest. And uh, as we're going to see in our passage today, Hebrews takes us back to the journey that the Israelites took through the wilderness to the promised land. And Hebrews is going to use that image to remind us that God has got a wonderful place in store for us. And if we keep going to the end, we will arrive and it's going to be joyful and it's going to be wonderful. And I think we need to hold to that. I think we need to have that picture in our mind's eye each day as we walk with Christ. You think sometimes we have this misconception that because we're headed to the promised land and God is taking us there, the journey is going to be easy. I mean, you look at the nation of Israel and their journey to the promised land, there, there are still battles for them to fight. There was still struggle along the way. And uh, I think sometimes we forget the fact that it's not necessarily going to just be a cakewalk. It's so interesting, isn't it? I think we're so accustomed to thinking that life should be getting more and more comfortable and more and more prosperous and more and more easy for us. And in the West, in recent decades, maybe that that myth has kind of been reinforced for us in, in, in some of the privileges we've enjoyed. But I don't think the Bible gives us anything of that kind of expectation. I think the Bible reminds us that the journey heavenward for the people of God is often a difficult journey, and we look to the Lord for grace and strength to persevere. I think that's biblical realism. Yeah, absolutely. Well, today we're going to look at his word in the book of Hebrews chapter 3, so grab a Bible and join us there as we continue the message, Holding Firm to the End. Here is Jonathan. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. See, the stakes are high in all this. The writer reminds us that the wilderness generation, they were on a journey. They were on a journey to God's promised rest, His promised land. And the writer is going to remind us that we're on a journey too, a journey not to Canaan, but to heaven, a journey ultimately to a new creation. And just as God was willing to deny entry to the faithless and to the rebellious in Moses' day, well, we should not presume that he would refrain from doing the same thing even today. And so the writer drives home this urgent call not to harden our hearts, and he does so in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. I have an uncle who's a, who's a cardiologist, who's a heart doctor, 
and he sometimes tells of situations he's encountered where a patient appears fit and well, full of energy, full of vitality, but who for whatever reason ends up coming in for some kind of a heart investigation. Maybe a sibling had a heart attack at a young age, and so the genetic link warrants a little bit of a look. So they, they do a good workup on this person, and to cut a long story short, they discover that this person was basically one pork chop away from a heart attack and a big one. It's a dangerous situation. They were in the prime of life, showing no symptoms, busy, active, going to the gym, all the rest, but with terrible heart disease lurking within. Now, that's a little bit scary to hear that kind of thing. It's a little unsettling. But the spiritual takeaway is this. We need to be careful that we take time to check our hearts, to really examine our hearts. We may be busy with life, even with Christian service. Perhaps we look spiritually healthy on the outside. No one would suspect any trouble with us. But if we actually stopped to honestly and soberly examine our heart, well, we might discover that the spiritual arteries had hardened, that the muscle walls had thickened. It's interesting to look there in verse 13 and see what it is that hardens the heart. I'm told that eating too much salt hardens the arteries in our body and contributes to cardiovascular disease. What is it that hardens our heart in spiritual terms? It is verse 13, the deceitfulness of sin. What a, what a fascinating insight that is. Sin deceives us, doesn't it? That's what we saw right back in the Garden of Eden with that slithering serpent whispering lies in Eve's ear. And it's what we actually see today. It's what we experience. It's that voice that we so often hear. God, He's, he's withholding good things from you. That indulgence, you know, it's not going to cost you. It's not going to do any harm whatsoever. You know, following Jesus, that's holding you back quite a lot. I wonder if you can see that. The promises of God for the life to come, those are fairy tales. Live for the here and now, why don't you? It'd be so much better. Sin deceives us. It is deceitful by nature. And as we hear and as we listen to the whispers of the serpent, our hearts get harder. They get slowly harder, imperceptibly harder, but harder nonetheless. And so we need to take care, each one of us. We need to look within. And here's the crucial thing. We need each other to help us in this. The start of verse 13, again, notice with me. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. At our men's breakfast yesterday, our speaker made reference to quite a well-known proverb, often said to be an African proverb. Perhaps you've heard it. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Now, the proverb is famous for a reason. It speaks some real sense. You see it with great expeditions, don't you? If you want to conquer Everest or K2 or something, if you want to sail around the world, don't try and do it solo. It's a recipe for disaster. Find a partner. Find a team. That's the key to success. Being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, it is not a solo sport. It's not a race we can win if we run alone. If we want to go the distance, we desperately need one another. 
We need that regular, even daily, the writer says, encouragement of brothers and sisters who are going to urge us on, encourage us on. That's why gathering like, like this as a church is important. That's why we need to be here on Sundays. It's so good to be together. It's why our midweek gatherings matter. It's hard to keep going. It's hard to keep trusting. It is hard to keep believing. And at the core of what happens at church is the ministry of encouragement that we give to one another. We don't come to church simply to receive. We come to minister to each other, each one of us. And I think we really need to get a hold of this as a church family and make much of it. The formal part of our meetings where I or someone else stands up and speaks, where we sing, where we pray, that's vital. It's good. We need that. But it's only part of the reason we meet, and it's only part of the value of coming together on a Sunday. A huge component of our Sunday ministry happens before the service and after the service out in the foyer out there, where we take time to chat with one another, to hear from one another what are the joys and what are the challenges just now, and then to say to one another, just keep going, brother, keep going, sister. Just think about that truth that we were looking at together. Think about that truth that we, we, we just sang together. Keep trusting that promise. Keep believing. And then maybe knowing what's going on with a brother or sister, we're just prompted in the week to send a quick note, a quick text, and to give some more words of Bible encouragement. It's why our midweek meetings matter so much. It's why we run all of them. We run so many midweek meetings. And it's not just to have a full social calendar. It's so that we would have intentional, structured opportunities to encourage each other from the Word of God. You may have noticed that this passage raises for us a big theological question. Maybe the question has been swirling around in your mind as you looked at the text here. And the question is really and simply this, can someone who is a true believer fall away from the Lord? I mean, the writer raises the issue right here in verse 12. We can't really avoid it. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now, that kind of talk, it can unsettle us a little, I think. We, we believe that the Bible teaches that once a person is truly saved, they can't lose their salvation. We remember verses like Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The idea that genuine believers don't fall away but endure, that, that's a biblical teaching. And yet, Hebrews has a warning for us. In fact, if we keep going in Hebrews, we discover that there will be more warnings to come as the letter progresses. Now, verse 14, I think, helps us a great deal in puzzling through this issue. Notice with me what the writer says. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. I understand that the market in fake goods is growing apace in many industries, and fakes are becoming more and more sophisticated, harder and harder to spot. In some industries, fakes cost money, but they don't cost lives. You know, a fake Rolex is a pretty bad investment, but it's not going to kill you. But fake car parts, they might actually kill you. The counterfeit car parts market's now worth 20 billion U.S. a year, getting more and more sophisticated all the time. Fake car parts, they, they can look 
convincing on the shelf, branded with the original manufacturer's markings, but they're often made of very different materials, I understand. In one extreme case I read about, counterfeiters have been manufacturing car brake pads from compacted dry grass and then dyeing them to look like rubber. Now, the ultimate test of genuineness is durability. Two products, the genuine and the fake, they might look completely identical on the shelf. But the fake one, it's going to disintegrate, and only the genuine will last. And so it is with the Christian. The proof that we were truly converted, that we have indeed come to share in Christ, the proof is found in endurance, and endurance to the end. And I think we actually know this instinctively and from experience. Most of us here in this room will know folk who appear to make a start, even a good start, an impressive start in the Christian life, but who then failed to endure in the Christian life. And it's very hard for us to know what to make of that. But verse 14 does help us. The genuine believer is not simply marked by making an initial profession of faith, you know, praying a quick prayer at some point and then writing the date in the front of their Bible or whatever. The genuine believer is marked by their endurance even to the end. That's why, by the way, I don't know what you think of this, but I often prefer to use the language of professions of faith rather than conversions when talking about the work of evangelism. You know, sometimes there will be some kind of evangelistic outreach, and we might say that five people were converted or five people were saved. Well, the Lord knows if they were truly converted. The Lord knows if they were truly saved. What we know for sure is that they professed faith, and we rejoice in that. Time will tell if they were truly saved. And for us, for us personally, each one of us, the question is not, did I make a profession of faith some time ago so that I can now put my feet up and relax and do whatever I like? No, the question that we need to ask, the question that will give us safety is this, is my heart soft toward the Lord today? Is my heart receptive to His voice as I hear it in His Word? Or has my heart grown hard? Do I have some hard work to do today, even some repentance, if I'm going to endure to the end? You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, a message called Holding Firm to the End. It's from the book of Hebrews and a series that we're calling So Great a Salvation. Hope you'll stay with us because we're going to get back to this message in just a moment. Well, Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported broadcast, and that's exactly what it sounds like. We depend on your generosity to keep this teaching on this station. So if you're tuning in and you're learning from Jonathan's teaching, I want to ask you to consider a gift of support. And as you do, we want to say thank you by sending you a book written by J.C. Ryle. It's one that Jonathan highly recommends that takes us into the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we take a look at the accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and then some of the commentaries that J.C. Ryle has written about this. It's all packaged together in this devotional book called Daily Readings from All Four Gospels. We'd love to send you a copy of this book as our way of saying thanks for your support this month. You can find out more or give online when you come to EncounterTheTruth.org or give us a call. Our phone number is 833 998 7884. Again, our website address is EncounterTheTruth.org and our phone number is 833-99-TRUTH. 
Well, if you have just joined us, we're in the book of Hebrews looking at chapter 3 today. So grab a Bible and open it there as we continue the message. Again, here is Jonathan. We need to make sure that our hearts don't harden toward the Lord. And more briefly, we need to make sure that our hearts do fear the Lord. Let me read again from verse 16. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. It's said that those who forget history are in great danger of repeating it. You will know that there's a pretty agonized discussion right now in Europe over the future of the European Union, whether it can survive the tensions that seem to be growing within it. And those who argue passionately for the preservation of the Union they want to remind us again and again of the Second World War and what it looks like for Europe to be divided, for Europe to be splintered, and how easily those divisions can lead to war. They want to remind us that the EU was born of a heartfelt desire to avoid anything like the Second World War ever recurring. Now, whatever one makes of the EU, the basic point is valid enough history can act as a warning to us, and we ignore history at our great peril. When it comes to God's dealings with humanity, His dealings with His people over time, He sometimes gives us the record of history to teach us and to warn us. And so the writer draws our attention here not to a battle between warring states, but to a severe discipline, even an act of judgment from God Himself. We need to know and we need to remember that there was a time in history when God barred a whole generation of Israelites from entering His promised rest, His promised land. And there was a time when He instead ordained that they should spend 40 years wandering in the wilderness and then perish outside the gates of their longed-for land. There, there was a generation, the writer reminds us, who made a very promising start with the Lord. They heard His voice, verse 16. They saw and experienced His dramatic saving action. But that generation who left Egypt, they, they didn't enter the land of promise. No, soon after making that start, they turned to grumbling, they turned to idolatry, they turned to doubt and disobedience, and they provoked the Lord to anger. And ultimately, because of unbelief, verse 19, they were unable to enter God's promised rest. And so the writer says to us, chapter 4 and verse 1, that promise of rest, it still stands for the people of God. Not, not Canaan, but the glorious land to come, the heavenly Jerusalem, ultimately the new creation. We hear God's voice in His living Word even today. We hear His promises. We hear His gospel invitation. The Lord Jesus calls us and beckons us to join Him in heaven above, to dwell with Him forever. The invitation of the gospel is wonderful, but the Lord does require an appropriate response. He requires the response of faith, and He warns us that He will deny entry to those who are marked by unbelief. 
The Bible actually talks quite a lot about fearing the Lord, fearing God, but it, it's, it's not language we like to use very much in Christian circles today. It is not popular language. We like to focus on the fact that God is our Father and Jesus is our friend and praise Him. If we belong to the Lord, those things are gloriously true for us. But Hebrews wants to remind us today that this gracious God is serious in His warnings. He expects us to believe in Him and to submit to His Word. And if our hearts are hard and unbelieving, sinful and rebellious, we can't presume that He will just welcome us into His heavenly rest at the end of the day. The Angus Reid Organization conducted a poll a couple of years ago asking Canadians what they fear most, and the kind of things we might expect to see represented there appeared on the list. Illness and dying, heights, snakes, spiders, climate change, aliens, darkness, small spaces, public speaking, and the list goes on. There is plenty out there that as a nation we are scared of. There are plenty of things that we fear that we probably shouldn't fear, but there are some things that we don't fear that we really ought to fear. I wonder if you and I today really know what it means to fear the Lord as the Word of God calls us to. Not to be terrified of Him, but to have the reverence and respect for Him, to take His Word seriously, to remember that He is not only Savior for His people, but judge of all the earth, to believe that He is capable of punishing disobedience. The book of Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. It is the foundation of all wisdom in this world. If we don't fear the Lord, His Word tells us. Well, we lack wisdom, and we're actually fools. One of my great concerns for us as a church family is that there could be some here, perhaps even a number here, who have signaled some kind of a start in Christian things. You prayed a prayer sometime. You wrote the date in the front of your Bible. You went forward maybe at some kind of evangelistic event. You've been attending church for a long time. You'd certainly call yourself a Christian. You left Egypt, as it were, along with the crowd. But if you examine your heart honestly, it is not clear that you find within it a true and a living faith a faith that leads to obedience, a faith that's there in such a way that it's gripped your heart and it's begun to transform your life. And the writer of Hebrews says to you, and he says to all of us, let us fear. Let us have a genuine and sober, robust and reverential fear of the Lord in our hearts. We need to know how to rejoice in the Lord we need to know how to find comfort and solace in the Lord. But we also need to know what it means to tremble before Him. That's what the wilderness generation forgot, or perhaps they never learned. They were content enough with the Lord when He gave them what they wanted. But their response to trial was to turn and to grumble. And actually, their response to that time of testing, it proved that they didn't really know Him. They hadn't really learned to fear Him. Friends, if you're someone today who is drifting along with the crowd, but you're not sure in all honesty where things stand between you and the Lord, you're here this morning among God's people, but you're not convinced in your heart of hearts that you really are one of God's people. 
Let me say today to you, you can be sure. You can be sure even today. You see, God gave His Son to rescue you. He gave His Son to pay the price of your sin and to make you His very own possession. And you can bring to Him your disobedience and your disbelief. You can come to Him in a spirit of repentance and true belief. And you can ask Him to forgive you for all that's come before. You can ask Him to welcome you and to accept you. And He promises to do that. He will do that. He promises to do that for each one whose heart is soft before His living Word. He promises to do that for each one who has learned to fear Him, for each one who believes. Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth, a message called Holding Firm to the End. And if you've missed any part of this broadcast or any part of the series from the book of Hebrews, it's called So Great a Salvation. I want you to know you can come to our website and you can listen online. Stop by Encounter the Truth. Dot O-R-G. Well, thanks for listening today, and I hope you'll tune in next time.